I, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I, Harry S. Truman. I, Dwight D. Eisenhower. I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. I, Lyndon Baines Johnson. I, Richard Nixon. I, Jimmy Carter. I, Ronald Reagan. I, George Herbert Walker Bush. I, William Jefferson Clinton. I, George Walker Bush. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the Presidency of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Preserve and protect and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 The name of this episode is sort of peculiar, but relevant. John Tyler wasn't supposed to become president at all. He should be written in history books today as only vice president. But under the Harrison administration, an unprecedented event transpired, causing a constitutional crisis and no one knew what to do. I'm Jeremiah Patterson, and this is U.S. Presidents. He was born on his family's plantation in Greenway, located in Charles City County, Virginia. The year was 1790 and the date was March 29th. His father was an affluent planter and a politician in Virginia. John Tyler graduated from the same college as President Thomas Jefferson. It was called the College of William and Mary, located in Williamsburg, Virginia. Thenceforth, in 1807, he studied law under private tutors and later advanced his political career in 1811, when he was elected to the Virginia State Legislator at the age of 21. Two years later, Tyler married the love of his life, Latita Christian, and they would go on to have eight children. Subsequently, John Tyler served in the Virginia State Legislator for five years and was also a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from 1817 to 1821. He then returned to the Virginia State Legislature for two years and became the governor of Virginia from 1825 to 1827. While Tyler was governor of the state of Virginia, a heartbreaking tragedy happened. President Thomas Jefferson died. So he delivered the state's official eulogy for Jefferson, who died on July 4th, 1826. Tyler represented his home state in the U.S. Senate from 1827 to 1836. During his term, he grew upset with the policies of President Andrew Jackson. In 1834, the Senate censured Jackson over issues surrounding his removal of government funds from the Bank of the United States. Two years later, in 1836, John Tyler resigned from the Senate to avoid complying with the uh, Virginia's legislators' instructions to reverse the censure vote. The former senator then became affiliated with the Whig Party. In 1839, Tyler's wife, Letitia, suffered from a stroke, which left her partially paralyzed and incapable of handling the responsibilities as First Lady when her husband became president. That would lead to her daughter-in-law, Priscilla Cooper Tyler, assuming the role of White House official hostess. In 1840, the Whigs nominated Ohio politician William Henry Harrison to run for president and chose Tyler as their vice presidential nominee in an attempt to attract Southern voters who believed in states' rights. The Harrison-Tyler ticket won the White House with an enormous electoral vote, 234 to 60, and about 53% of the popular vote. On March 4, 1841, Harrison was sworn in as president. 
1842, John Tyler became a widower when he lost his wife due to a second stroke. She was 51 years old, becoming the only first lady in our nation's history to die in the White House. After two years of grief and heartbreak, Tyler married Julia Gardiner, a wealthy New Yorker, and they would go on to have seven children. Tyler now has 15 children. He was the only U.S. president to marry in office and the only to father more children than any other U.S. president in our nation's history. Hey, U.S. Presidents listeners, make sure to check out my website about U.S. Presidents. On that website, I post lots of intriguing blog posts about U.S. Presidents and also compare it to modern day society and how we can compare the intrinsic historical perspectives back then and what happened back then to right now. So make sure to go check out our website. I'll make sure to put it in the description of this episode so you can check it and always stay informed. Here's a video from the Business Insider YouTube channel on the death of President William Henry Harrison. William Henry Harrison passed away just one month after entering the White House. As the story goes, Harrison caught a cold while delivering his exceptionally long inauguration speech on a cold, wet day in early March. That cold turned into pneumonia and took the president's life. But researchers re-examined the journal of Harrison's physician, Dr. Thomas Miller, and found that his symptoms were really more indicative of typhoid fever. Miller even voiced doubts of his own diagnosis, saying, quote, the term pneumonia afforded a succinct and intelligible answer to the innumerable questions as to the nature of the attack. Although Harrison did have a fever and trouble breathing intermittently throughout the illness, the more constant and severe symptoms were constipation and abdominal distension. Harrison also had a history of indigestion. At the time, this was typically treated with carbonated alkali, which neutralizes the gastric acid that kills off bacterial pathogens. This may have made Harrison more vulnerable to intestinal infection. After Harrison died, there was lots of confusion and ambiguity about whether Tyler should become president or remain vice president as acting president. The U.S. Constitution was sort of unclear on the matter of presidential succession, which would be cleared up in the 1940s, but... Tyler just decided to move into the White House anyway and was sworn in as the president on April 6th at the age of 51. As President Tyler, as president, Tyler soon found himself in opposition to the Whigs' legislative agenda, which was his own party, by the way. He had kept Harrison's cabinet in place. However, after Harrison vetoed a bill that would create a new national bank, almost his entire cabinet resigned, except for one person. History.com writes, quote, the president was disavowed by the Whigs, end quote. In fact, the Whigs got so fed up with the president that they tried to do something almost unbelievable. And that story is up next. On July 22, 1842, Virginia Congressman John Minor Botts rose from his seat in the House of Representatives and introduced the first proposal in U.S. history to impeach a sitting U.S. president. And you know, perhaps many people forgot this part of history or aren't aware. After Congressman Botts had stood up declaring impeachment, the Whig Party leader, uh, Henry Clay, cautioned that impeachment by saying it might be too much or even too risky uh, to, to counter the president's bitter clash with the Whig-controlled Congress. Clay said, quote, There is cause enough. God knows, but it is a novel proceeding full of important consequences, present and future, and should not be commenced, but upon full consideration, 
end quote. In other words, we don't have to do it, but we can think about it. So the the Whigs who decided to form an investigative committee, which was, by the way, controlled by our nation's sixth president, John Quincy Adams. Uh, the Whigs decided to do this because President John Tyler kept vetoing bills. In fact, they got so infuriated that they kicked him out of their party. Subsequent to that, mobs of Whigs protested outside in front of the White House, expressing their infuriation and aversion towards President Tyler. Then something else happened. Here's how the Washington Post describes it. Quote, The anger boiled over on the House floor, where Representative Edward Stanley of North Virginia got into a fist fight with Tyler's best friend, Representative Henry Wise of Virginia. End quote. The whole rationale behind why those two men started literally fist fighting is because Representative Stanley said, quote, he lies like a dog, end quote. And that was referring to President Tyler, which I'm guessing his best friend, Representative Wise, overheard and attacked Representative Stanley. I'm not completely sure about the historical context here, uh, but that's how I picture it in my head. President Tyler was well aware of what had just transpired in Congress. Therefore, he wrote to a friend that night. Not Representative Wise, but another friend. He wrote, quote, I am told that one of the madcaps talks of impeachment. That madcap was Botts, who on July 11th gave a notice of his plans, warning if the power of impeachment is not exercised by the House in less than six months, 10,000 bayonets will gleam Pennsylvania Avenue, end quote. Eleven days after President Tyler wrote that letter, Botts formally introduced a petition to impeach the president, saying, quote, On the grounds of his ignorance of the interest and true policy of this government and want of qualification for the discharge of the important duties of president of the United States, end quote. The House then voted to table the pro- the House then voted to table the proposal for a while. But Botts just wouldn't give up, saying, quote, I charge him with the high crime and misdemeanor of endeavoring to excite a disorganizing and revolutionary spirit, the country, by inviting a disregard of and disobedience to a law of Congress, end quote. He also then charged the president with, quote, abuse of the veto power to gratify his personal and political resentment, utterly unworthy and unfit to have the destinies of this nation in his hands as chief magistrate, end quote. One newspaper called the, Madison, called the Madisonian attacked Botts, writing, quote, the bastard son of Virginia has performed his foolish threat and produced article of impeachment, articles of impeachment against the president of the United States, end quote. The Whigs were especially infuriated because of Congress, because Congress had failed to override any of the president's vetoes, therefore causing Tyler success. Ronald Schaefer from the Washington Post writes, quote, The clash hit a breaking point on August 9th when Tyler vetoed a major tariff bill. Adams took to the House floor to declare that the president had put the legislative and executive branches, quote, in a state of civil war, end quote. On August 11th, the United States House of Representatives authorized a 13-member select committee on the veto headed by Adams to investigate the president's actions. Adams despised President Tyler because he was a slaveholder. The House's majority report accused Tyler of, quote, gross abuse of constitutional power and bold assumptions of powers never vested in him by law, by any law, end quote. 
The report even said that the Tyler had, quote, strangled the life out of Congress and had committed, quote, offenses of gravest character, end quote. Oh, and did I mention that the report also charged the president with obstruction of justice by withholding information from Congress? So yeah, this was sort of a big deal. But even though they tried this whole effort to get Tyler out of office, it didn't work. The resolution failed and the Whigs had lost control of Congress in the 1842 election. But the Whigs finally got their revenge on the president, finally uh, in his final month in office, which was in March of 1845. They finally got to override a veto of a bill on building marine service ships. And so that made Tyler the first U.S. president in U.S. history to have a veto have been overridden by the United States Congress. So that's the story of Congress's failed goal to impeach the president of the United States. However, that's not the only thing John Tyler did as president. Tyler and George Washington were the only presidents without a political party. Of course, in Washington's case, it was voluntary. Born to an aristocratic Virginia family, Tyler studied law and went into politics. He loved the Constitution's limits on federal power, so he wasn't a fan of President Andrew Jackson. Tyler thought Jackson stepped on the rights of state governments. When the Whig Party was formed to fight Jackson and his policies, Tyler signed up. Voters elected him vice president in 1840, but he was promoted after a month on the job when President Harrison died. No one was sure if Tyler should be treated like an elected president, but Tyler insisted that he should. After that victory, it was mostly downhill. The Whigs thought Tyler would be a rubber stamp for their policies, but he vetoed their bill to create a new national bank, so they kicked him out of the party. Tyler kept fighting Congress and defending his beliefs so aggressively that he was kind of like, well, Andrew Jackson. In his last days in office, he arranged for the annexation of Texas. Tyler didn't run in 1844, but he fought for states' rights until he died in 1862 as a member of the Confederate Congress. Hey, U.S. President's listeners. I host a podcast called The Jeremiah Patterson Show. On that show, I discuss news, politics, and history. And I think you will find it intriguing. So if you ever run out of episodes to binge on this podcast, go take a listen and go listen to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, where I discuss news, politics, and history, orchestrate specials, and also I'm involved in interviewing special guests. I hope you enjoyed this episode of U.S. Presidents. On this episode, I discussed the life and presidency of John Tyler, our nation's 10th president. I also told a story about how Congress fell to impeach him and more. Make sure to share this podcast with your family and friends. Don't forget to rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or send me a voice message through Anchor. If you have any further questions, you can email me at uspresidents at gmail.com. With that said, thanks for listening to this episode of the U.S. Presidents. Also, make sure to check out the description of this episode for lots of uh, for lots of good and intrinsically valuable information. Have a great day and see you soon.